and be seated. Whew, God's presence never gets old. It's always new. It's always fresh bread. <sighs> Thank you, Jesus. Well, Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to finish our Ephesians series today. Uh, hopefully, we can get through 23 verses. Uh, I'm going to do my best to do it. So uh, if it gets, uh, if I start taking too long, just, you know, give me the, one of these out there. Tell you, hey, Miss Ann, you be, you be my, <laughs> said I have my wife in here to help me with that. So just give me one of these. Man, so much treasure in Ephesians. What Paul's been doing this whole time is, is he's establishing who we are in Christ, the first three chapters like we've been talking about. And then in the fourth chapter, there's a therefore, which acts like a hinge of since we're all these things in Christ, since we are saved by grace, not of ourselves, and we've been God's masterpieces created for good works, since we have been chosen before the foundations of the world in the Father, and Jesus thought so much of us that he shed his blood for us, and since the Holy Spirit has sealed us, uh, and, and sealed us and preserved us and put God's name on us where we could bear God's name. Since all these beautiful things have been happening, how therefore shall we live is kind of the idea. So then 4, 5, and 6 just gets really practical. And what Paul's got to get to the heart of, what he's got to get just drilled to the center of is he's got to address the power structures of that day. That's why he goes right into the place of relationships and he deals with every single relational dynamic that there was in Rome in that day or in the Roman Empire in Ephesus. Because what I've found, if you don't deal with the power dynamic in people's lives, you'll either let somebody rule you or you'll try to rule somebody else. And here's the deal. There's one king in this universe and it's King Jesus. And you might have a title and you might be over some people, but let me tell you what, you do not own them, they are not yours, and you will answer to God for how you treat people. So Paul deals with every power dynamic in that day to let everybody know who the real king is and how we ought to live. So he talks about the relationship between husband and wives. And he says, wife, submit to your husband. And then that's all he says about it. So I don't, I don't know. That's all he says. I just, that's what he said. He says, wife, submit to your husbands. Husbands, submit to your wives. And then he says, I'm like, Clarence is my body. I'm like, take this man out. I got enough ADD, Tim. Please do not help me. <laughs> what are we talking about? Husbands, wives. Husbands, wives submit to your husbands. Husbands submit to your wives, right? And then he says, the husband's the head. So every moment where you're kind of like, okay, I, I like where this is going, and the husband sticks his chest out a while, then the wife sticks her chest out for a while, and the husband is back and forth. What he's trying to do is not establish authority. He's trying to establish mutual submission because he ends it with this when he's talking about the marriage household. He says, 
Oh yeah, well, husband, you are in charge, but here's how you're in charge. You're in charge like Christ is in charge, and what did he do for the bride? He covered her in his own blood so that she might be pure. See, it's always the woman that has to bear the responsibility of moral purity. In the old power dynamic, right? A guy puts a notch on his belt, the woman is considered. Can we be real? Paul says, it ain't so. Husband, you're to spill your blood for her because you're her covering. So he's addressing the power dynamics of the day. Because unless he deals with the power dynamics and our want to be in charge, then he's never going to get us unified on anything. Ever. So Paul's dealing with the relational dynamics of everything that he could possibly deal with. Because uh, I love how Paul addresses himself. When Paul's writing the letter of Romans in several letters, he dresses himself like this. Paul, a bondservant or a slave of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's saying, this is the one who holds sway over me. No one else can have that place. He never, in scripture, you'll never see the word Apostle Paul. I'm about to mess y'all up. Y'all ready? It's always Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. See, he never starts with a title first. He always starts with who he is first. Because when we start with a title first, we're always trying to achieve or get something instead of just being who we are and allowing God and those giftings to naturally manifest. So we find our identity in Pastor Matt or Apostle Paul or these things, and the Bible never mentions How many times in the Bible do you see pastor anybody? It's not there. People want to talk about getting biblical? Let's get biblical. So the better way would be like Matt, pastor of Lakeview Assembly. Because I didn't call myself to be a pastor. He did. And before I'm a pastor... I'm Matt, his son. I'm Matt, a husband. I'm Matt, a father. So Paul is dealing with these power dynamics within the church. And they're all relational. Isn't that funny? It all boils down to our relationships with other people who aren't like us, who might be different than us, who might not agree with us on every issue. Imagine that. Somebody's not going to agree with us on every issue. And it's just what it is. But Paul gives us a key. And his key that he gives us is mutual submission. Husbands, submit to your wife. Wives, submit to your husbands. Mutual submission to one another in every relationship dynamic within our lives, and within the church. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1. All right. Perk up, children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Is Abigail up? Make sure she's up here. <laughs> oh, 
on. She's asleep. Okay. No, I don't know. I just said that. Verse 2. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, accompanied by a promise. Namely, that it will go well with you and that you will live a long time on earth. So what Paul is doing here is he's bringing up an old principle, an old Jewish principle from the Old Testament. But he's really challenging the mores and the moral fabric and the milieu of that day. Because in this day, it was encouraged to actually beat your children. That if a child was born deformed, you could leave them and there was no crime. That there was no rights for kids. And so the great moral minds, the great Greek minds of the day, did not regard children with any kind of rights and just said, do what you want to. Do whatever you got to do to make them listen to you, in other words. And so Paul comes in and addresses the children, but then look who he addresses next. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but raise them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you see the themes? Husbands submit to wives. Wives submit to husbands. Children submit to your parents. Fathers submit to your children. See, he's getting us out of our titles and getting us out of we're in charge and saying, no, 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 we're all in this together. Because I don't care how good you father, if the kid don't listen, it ain't no good. And I don't care how good your kids act, if the father don't lead well. But he's getting the power dynamics on the same page. Where they quit seeing each other as at odds or enemies of one another. But that they would see themselves as one. A unit. A team. Now, here's where it gets really sticky. Whew. Verse 5. Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling in the sincerity of your heart as to Christ. Not like those who do their work only when someone is watching as people pleasers, but slaves of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Verse 7, obey with enthusiasm as though serving the Lord and not people. Because you know that each person, whether slave or free, if he does something good, this will be rewarded by the Lord. Now, slave in the Greek here is a very, it's doulos, it's a very broad term. It can mean bond servants, it can mean indentured servants, and it can mean just straight up what we know as chattel slavery that was experienced in the U.S. It's an evil thing that happened, but the Bible just does not let us pass over it. Because this is culture. This is not saying slavery's right. It's not justifying it. It's not glossing over it. Again, Paul is addressing the power structures that existed in this day, and he's hitting them head on. And there's some things he's got to say to some, but then he's got to say some other stuff to some other people too. It's just what it is. 
So it's not an advocate for slavery. And this is what happened in the U.S. The theological battle in the U.S. for slavery was a theological one. And some would use this to justify slavery. That's not what's going on. Paul is not condoning the culture. He's just addressing it. He's addressing it. And he's hitting it head on. That's what an apostle does. They hit the issue head on. And so what he's doing is he's giving keys to freedom. Because here's the deal. We rarely argue our way to freedom. We rarely argue our way to anything. He's giving us a key within certain dynamics to say, this is how you capture the imagination of the heart where you begin to turn things. That he's actually giving slaves a key to how to be free. To capture the heart and imagination of their masters. Where they quit looking at them as slaves. And start seeing them as brothers and sisters. That's what the gospel is meant to do. It's meant to get us out of our power dynamics. And out of all of our partisan stuff. And it's to get us to look at every single person as a brother and sister in him. So he says, hey, while you're in this predicament, serve. But don't serve them. They're not worth it. Serve is unto me. Because if you put it in my hands, I'll go to work for you. Speedily and mightily. So this was a very complex issue. But in this day, you've got, think about the Roman Empire. It was the whole known world ran by one entity. And how did they defeat the known world? With swords. And this was a brutal thing that took place. Lots of complexities here. And so Paul has a vision for the future. That we would all be one in him. But he gives us keys and tracks on how to get there. Gives us keys and tracks on how to, really for all of us, find our freedom. Here we go, verse 9. Masters, treat your slaves the same way, giving up the use of threats, because you know that both you and they have the same master in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So here's what he does. He's telling both parties, do what's right. That what God is trying to orchestrate is a nation, a royal priesthood, a nation of kings and priests, where he is the only head, and we are all fit together as a family unit. So suddenly the dynamic of every relationship changed. Because it's not master and slave, it's brother and brother, or brother and sister. And when you begin to see people as your family, it changes everything. I remember as a young single man, I'll just be frank with you, 
Man, I, I struggled with pornography for a time. Ugh, Pastor Matt. <laughs> You're a human. And a man pulled me aside, and I just confided in him. And if you're having struggle with that, you need to confide in some people and get real with yourself. And this was a long time ago. Hadn't dealt with it since. You know what he told me, Clarence? He said, why are you disrespecting God's daughters like that? <laughs> and when I saw them as God's daughters, it changed everything. It broke the power of sin over me. I'm just telling you, when you start seeing people as brothers and sisters, you'll quit trying to overshadow or overspeak them or tell them how right you are. You'll get over all that and you'll start serving people and you'll start loving people and it'll start freeing you up to be who God's called you to be. So he tells these masters, you ain't so big. And you got to answer to me for how you treat people. He goes so far, and this was unheard of in this day. Nobody said these things that Paul was saying. I mean, this is why they lopped his head off, because he said things like this. Paul even goes as far to write a letter called Philemon, where a runaway slave that he meets gets saved, and he tells him to go back, and he tells Philemon, let that man go, because that's your brother. He's your brother. So Paul is not trying to create a church as much as he's trying to create a family that willfully submits to each other and doesn't see themselves as in charge, but sees themselves as brothers and sisters in him. That's what he's trying to do. Now, all this in context, we're going to finish with these last 13 verses. So, all these different relational dynamics submit to one another. Husband, submit to wife, husband, children to parents, slaves, masters. This, all this submitting to one another puts nobody in charge but Jesus. And when we do that, then this next section happens. See, it looks like we're weak because we're giving up ourselves. But Jesus said, if you want to gain your life, you better just lay it on down because you don't, get, you don't pick it up by being the baddest in the room. You pick it up by being a servant of all. So, so, so when this dynamic starts to happen, here's what Paul says starts to happen. Verse 10, finally being strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his power, clothe yourself with the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So when we begin to operate in love with each other, it's not, we don't look like, uh, forgive me, a bunch of hippies sitting around playing guitars and, and throwing up peace signs, that when we start operating in love, we turn into an army of God that advances the kingdom of God and takes down power structures and changes the world. The problem is we hadn't done it. We're too busy trying to be right. Instead of washing feet. 
I just quit caring about being right a long time ago. I just quit caring about it. I just want to be right with him. Because <laughs> I can be right up here and wrong with him. Because knowledge will puff you up, man. Get you at odds with everyone. But Paul says that when we get in this place, we're rising up. We're putting on the full armor of God. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Do you see what he just did there? He took the enemy that you're picturing as another human out of the picture. It says any enemy you have is being animated by something else because the human destiny is to look like Jesus, not to be all messed up and doing all this bad stuff. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against powers against the world rulers of this darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. So notice, when we get our relational dynamics right, suddenly the demonic powers are like, whoa, whoa, what is going on here? People's loving each other and taking care of each other. And oh, oh, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? And they can't stand it. But that's what it is to rise up and look like the army of God. Is a band of brothers and sisters that are willing to see each other as equals. Where he's the head of it all. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but rulers against powers, against the world, rulers of darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God. So that you may be able to stand your ground on the evil day, having done everything to stand. Stand firm, therefore, by fastening the belt of truth around your waist, by putting on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, this belt might refer to this leather apron that they put on underneath their armor uh, to protect their lower abdomen. The, the breastplate was, uh, was leather overlaid with metal, and it protected the chest in battle. And, uh, and it was for the battle. It wasn't for just normal wear. It was, it was this picture of, of we're suiting up, not just going into the world or not just going into relationships. And I'll tell you what, if you think this is too extreme, then you haven't built any deep relationships. Because every deep relationship I've got, I better put on the helmet of salvation. I better put on the breastplate of righteousness. I better put on the belt of truth. I better put it all on because somebody's going to test your metal and figure out what's on the inside of you. The spiritual warfare is more than just decreeing and declaring. That's part of it. But boy, I'm going to tell you, you want to put on the armor? Try loving your neighbor. You better get on the armor of God. <laughs> Neighbor will kill you. <laughs> Jeez. Neighbor suck the life out of you. Well, you got to protect your heart with that breastplate. Because they'll suck the life out of your heart. Because some people don't want help. They just want you to be as miserable as they are. You better draw up a boundary and put on your armor. Some people want to get in your mind. 
and just mess you up and have you all confused about everything. Think you're dumb and you can't see what they're up to. Put on that helmet. <laughs> you ain't getting in my head. It's like X-Men, Magneto. <laughs> Dr. X, Professor X, he couldn't get in his head because he had that big magnet helmet, big metal helmet on. And he could see everybody else's thoughts and try to mess and change their thoughts. Magneto had the big metal helmet on. They had to get that helmet off. Y'all didn't need all that. <laughs> you better have that Magneto helmet. I'm serious. Spiritual, spiritual of witchcraft will manipulate you, give you headaches, get you confused and doubting if you're even saved or not. And then have you feeling guilty because you didn't feel like you helped them enough. Have you feeling bad and you're beating yourself up and you gave them everything you had. And then some. That's when you just say, you're not my problem to fix. You need to go find the Lord. Isn't that what you did? If you want to free yourself up, you tell somebody, say, get along with the Lord. And don't leave the room until he speaks to you. Don't go find somebody else they can talk to. <laughs> this thing's warfare. Yes. And God says, don't lift a finger on them. <laughs> so you better suit up. Or you'll be out of character. Breastplate, a helmet. These things. Verse 15, by fitting your feet with the preparation that comes from the good news of peace. The soldiers needed to wear sandals or boots so they could advance toward the enemy undistracted about what they might step on. And what Jesus said, you'll tread on scorpions and serpents. That when we get our relationships right, it's like an army is being assembled that's suiting up with the right armor. <laughs> no, let's go. Now, what Paul's doing here is he's taking some from Isaiah, Isaiah 59 and then, and then 52. And, and you can read those on your own time. But when he talks about how beautiful are the feet of those who, who come over the mountains bringing the good news. And then in 59, he talks about putting on a breastplate and different things. So, so Paul borrows some of this language to let his readers know this. he's not coming out of left field here. But he's really using the Roman picture of what their armor would look like. Verse 16, in all this, by taking up the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. So you see all this stuff working together. So when our relationships get right, get honest, and forgiveness starts flowing and real love starts flowing and we can actually be who we are and share that and not be ashamed, and they can do the same, this kind of freedom thing starts happening. And so what happens is, is this army is being built. doesn't look like an army. Looks like a bunch of people just trying to love on folks. 
But that's what the demonic realm looks at and says, oh my gosh, they've got it. Oh my gosh, they've figured it out. Oh man, what can we do to change their character? Because they're loving no matter what. Oh gosh. And they start freaking out because when that army starts rising, they know it starts advancing. And it starts cutting into their territory. And when the devil doesn't have a foothold, he starts getting nervous. <laughs> so that's what he's building. He's building up an army. Y'all come up here, this front row, come up here. So what, what they would do here, yeah, turn around, please. So what they would do is, in, in the Roman army, they had shields, and they were about four feet long. And they were covered with le leather, and before they went into battle, they would soak them in water. And this is how the Romans conquered everybody. They had this war technique so down that nobody, I mean, nobody could touch them. And this is how they did it. So they would soak their shields in water, and then the front row would all hold their shields. Let's hold our shields up, right? I need a back here. I need you four right here. Be my, be my back row army here, if you will. Okay, so we're front row. So they had the long, like lances, these long uh, sabers, cables, something. I don't know what it is. Spear, long spear. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> you, probably, you probably think about dill pickles or something like that. So they had this long spear, and so they held the shields here. Now these back here, they, their front's covered, right? So they would hold the shields up at the top, right? And so everybody behind would then have shields on top. So, all right, everybody, let's start taking steps. So there was no place an arrow could come through, so there was no long-distance technique of the technology of the day that you could hit them. So Paul's painting this picture of Roman or warfare to say even from a distance, Satan can't hit you. Even when you've run him out on the edge of town, he still, if you'll stay together, he still can't quite get an arrow to you. That's it. That's all I got. Sorry, guys. I wish I had more. I wish I had more. So what God wants us to do is to get our shield of faith, but not just my individual shield of faith. I need your shield of faith. Right? I'm like feeling overwhelmed and burdened. Miss Cheryl says, hey, she came over to give me a word and said, man, just ride the wave. God's got, I'm like, come on. I'm going to ride the wave. Forget about pushing and pulling and all this other stuff. I'm just going to just be me. And, and that's always the enemy just wants you to not be you. He wants you to perform. And if he gets you to perform, oh, the demons can come in and have you all kinds of twisted and everything else. But I can't just have my shield of faith. I'm going to need Zach's shield of faith. I'm going to need Clarence's. I'm going to need Tim's shield of faith. I'm going to need Connie's shield. And we're going to have to all kind of come in together. And, and Jesus is going to have to be important enough that the nuances don't separate us, but that we still bind together because we realize the most important thing is the advancement of the gospel and the advancement of love. And we all got to move at the same pace, at the same beat, and we've got to take our steps at the same time and begin to advance and encroach on enemy territory. And there was one place in the Roman getup to where they did not have any armor. Do you know where it was? In their back. In other words, there's no retreating. 
Any, any scars you had on your back better be from a friend. Because if you're tuck tail and running, there was no honor for scars on your back. And some of us got too many scars on our back because we run off and the devil's done hit us with arrows as we're running away. Every scar we got is right here. It's time we get some scars on our face, and on our body. I love what Paul said. He's making a case if he was a real apostle or not. He didn't give his credentials. He could have. He didn't give his uh, learning. Could have. He didn't give his birthright. Could have. You know what he did? He took off his shirt, showed his scars, and said, Who loves you more than this? (laughs) Who loves you enough to get a scar for you? Go to battle for you. That's who I want to be with. That you are not the problem. You are the solution. And I've made a vow to God. He spoke to me. He said, quit trying to fix people. Yes, sir. Yes, sir, Sergeant Jesus. And he said, because if you posture yourself as a pastor with all the answers trying to fix people, you'll see people as a problem and not as a solution. And if things start taking a turn for the worse, you can't see me as the problem either. If you try to fix me, you're saying something's wrong with me. We're not going to be unified like that. So I won't try to fix you, and you don't try to fix me. And we'll let the Holy Ghost tell us what we ought to be doing. And we'll let him unify us because if God doesn't build the house, what does it matter? What does it matter? So I'm not the answer. You're not the answer. He's the answer. And we're all the solution. That our duty is to be the solution to bring the answer to every situation that we're in. And more times than not, it's going to be to love folks. And sometimes in love, you have to deliver something stern. But your knees better be bloody, and they better be knocking when you say it, because you're speaking for the Lord. Yeah. You better be fast to encourage and slow to correct. You better know that you know that you know. You better be quick to listen. Slow to speak. These teen challenge guys know the whole Bible over here. I was like, golly. <laughs> Y'all got to let me finish these scriptures though. <laughs> no, I love it. You change your life, man. You get your nose in that book. <laughs> Jeez. And all this, taking the shield of faith, which can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God man isn't that awesome (laughs) I had a guy tell me one time he said how long's your sword I said I'm not sure what you're talking about (laughs) 
He said, uh, how many scriptures you memorized? Hmm. He said, sounds like you got a few daggers. He said, you need to start memorizing some chapters. Because it's our only really offensive weapon in that whole gamut. Everything else protects you. But really, the shoes and the sword are the only thing that really advance you. Because only the gospel can change your heart. And only the word of God can send Satan to flight. Yeah. So, oh, well, let's just look at it. Isaiah 59, verse 17. This is another cool thing, so I really want to share this. Isaiah 59, verse 17. This is talking of God. He wears his desire for justice like body armor. And his desire is to deliver. His desire to deliver is like a helmet on his head. And he puts on garments of vengeance and wears zeal like a robe. Okay, okay, time out. Clarence, the preacher, he's already there. Stop. Who had the armor on and what we just read? And Isaiah. Who had the armor on? He wears his desire for justice like body armor. God had it on. Who had the armor in Ephesians 6? Mm. So Isaiah got the revelation that God's suiting up. The New Testament reality is, is yeah, he is setting, suiting up, but he's suiting up in you. That you're the army. <laughs> and you're not just an army, you're God's army. So when you put on a breastplate of righteousness, you're bringing in, not yours, his. When you put on that helmet of salvation, you're not putting on your helmet, you're putting on his. He's given us spoils of riches through his gospel and through his spirit. And if we'll just put it on and start working it and put on the gospel readiness of peace on our shoes and start trotting and start using the word of God against the enemy, if we'll put this stuff on, it's as if God has it on. So God suits up for, for war through you. And we're waiting on somebody else to come on, come along. We're waiting on another prophetic word. We're waiting on another speaker to come by and preach another sermon. Put the armor on. You are the solution, not the problem. You're the solution. You're not the problem. You have problems, but you are not the problem. You're the solution, man. We are the armor of God and God's justice in the earth. So you want to turn some hearts and correct some injustice? Go to treating people like brothers and sisters and loving on them and serving them. Because in the demonic realm just says, whoa, what is this? Somebody submitting to somebody else? That ain't supposed to happen. Yeah. That's where it happens. Verse 18, with every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. 
and to this end. Ooh, that's powerful. Listen up. Be alert with all perseverance and petitions for all saints. Wow. Verse 19, pray for me also that I might be given the right words when I begin to speak, that I may confidently make known the mystery of the gospel. Wow. It's a mystery in the sense, not that it's hidden. It's a mystery in the sense that it can only be experienced. (laughs) God is putting together this relational reality that undoes the principalities and powers. And it's a mystery because you can only know it if you've experienced it. So God wants you to experience it. Verse 20, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Remember, Paul's in prison writing this. So he's paying the price. Pray that I may be able to speak boldly as I ought to speak. What makes you feel good? Paul's giving some prayer requests. I think he sat down apostle right then, took that hat off and said, hey, brother, pray for me. Yeah. 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 I'm in it. Pray that I may be able to speak boldly as I ought to speak. Verse 21. Y'all ready for this name? Tychicus. My dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will make everything known to you so that you too may know about my circumstances, how I'm doing. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So the only person Paul mentions in the whole letter of Ephesians, which lead us to believe this was a circular letter because he spent more time in Ephesus than he did in any other missionary journey that he was on, but he mentions nobody by name. And they all cried when he left. Or they cried because he finally left. I'm not sure. But they're crying. And he would have mentioned more people by name if this was a personal letter. So this probably went to Ephesus and some other towns along the way. So he left it general. So we get to meet the mailman here, Tychicus. So guess what? Paul wasn't a lone ranger. Paul needed people. He needed the church's prayers. And he needed a mailman just to carry the letter. God needs some people just to carry the mail sometimes. God needs somebody just to share the stream. I don't know. I'm trying to make it relevant. I don't know where to go from there. God needs some mailmen. that will carry the letter with them right into battle. You know, I think about David. Who was that guy? David had met, he messed around with his wife and his. How could I not know that? Uriah, thank you. Uriah was carrying the letter, which was the orders that he was going to be killed, and he never opened to look at it. 
because he trusted the king so much. He's carrying his descendants with him because he trusts the king so much. And I want to trust the king that much. Say, God, I don't even have to know. I'll just carry the letter. I don't even know where it's going to take me. Maybe to the front lines of the battle, but I'm going because this letter is too important not to get out. So here's the mailman, Tychicus, getting a shout out. Verse 23, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the spiritual unity of believers, which transcends all humanly erected boundaries. And this is the preeminent aspect of God's will. That when the early Christians would required to go to the court of law to declare their citizenship, you know they only affirmed that they were Christians. But they were asked, what race are you? And there was two options, Jew or Gentile. And they said, no, we're the third race. We're a new creation in God. That's lost in him. That we don't identify with old labels anymore. Because our race is Jesus. The tribe of Jesus. And nothing else matters but him. That all these divisions that the Ephesians were in the middle of. Ephesians calls those Christians through Paul to take steps toward reconciliation. Both as outsiders functioning as peacemakers and in hostile contexts. And even more when they themselves represent one of the people groups involved. And this is God's heart today. That his people would be one. As they are one. That there wouldn't be any haves or have nots but brothers and sisters in him. Kings and priests under the greatest king, the king that washes feet, the king that dies for his servants and doesn't ask his servants to die for them. And this is the heart of Ephesus, is that in every relationship possible, the gospel would enter in and give us the grace to love each other despite our differences despite our backgrounds and despite everything else. Let's pray. Jesus, you want unity. It doesn't mean we don't honor diversity. Because <laughs> you're not wanting us to all be the same, but you are wanting us to be unified. The sum of our broken world is the sum of broken relationships. And they don't have to be dysfunctional. But the church has an opportunity to create a safe haven <laughs> to extend love to brothers and sisters who need it. And 
And every member is a minister. And has a part to play. And that every job or function or role that we've been placed in is a role to extend the goodness and kindness of a Savior who loves us. It's a place to advance the gospel. Not through force or not through making a nuisance of ourselves, but by showing a supernatural love. Because you said that's how we'll be known as disciples, by the way we love each other. So God, teach us to love. Thank you for being so patient with us because this side of heaven, I don't know that we perfectly get it, but I'm not going to let that be an excuse for me not to try. (laughs) There's a, clearly there's a demonic realm that exists. When the people of God get in unity, the Holy Ghost falls and thousands get saved and the world gets turned upside down. God, put us in all in one accord. We don't have to fear demonic oppression. We just got to learn what it is to love one another and they'll flee. Deal with our issues so we can be free, so that we can be free to love others. Because we all have that part to play. So, Lord, thank you for my family here, my brothers and sisters, who are patient and kind and loving, full of grace, hardworking. These are solutions in this room. And yeah, we've got problems, but that's not who we are. We're the king's kids, sons and daughters of the Most High God. So let us not see our life, our relationships as mundane, but opportunities to show how wonderful your gospel really is. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.